0: That's heritageradionetwork.org slash 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: If your food media diet is fueled by HRN, become a monthly donor today. Visit heritageradionetwork.org slash donate.
2: Hello and welcome to Snacky Tunes. I am one happy host, Darren Bresnitz. hope everyone is doing well and staying safe. I know that things are crazy, especially here in LA with the mask mandate being re implemented. Please take care of yourself, take care of each other. If this only works if we all work together. We have a great episode today with a chef from one of our favorite restaurants in LA, Rustic Canyon. We have Andy Dubrava, who sits down and talks to us about the role and responsibility of being a long-term neighborhood restaurant. He talks to us about working with local farmers and also some of the music that he plays both in the dining room and in the kitchen. It's really fun. It's really delicious. We love this restaurant. We're so happy that they're doing well. And then we go into the archives from Brooklyn for a great dreamy performance from Small Black. It's a good vibe for a Sunday afternoon. So please. Sit back, relax, and enjoy Snacky Tunes here on HRN.org.
3: We talk about food, we talk about music, with musical dudes, finger on the pulse, Snacky Tunes.
2: Andy, welcome to Snacky Tunes. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule and restaurant to sit down and chat with us.
4: Hello, good morning.
2: Good morning, indeed. Um, you know, we've we've long had this theory uh, as we've been hosting this show for now over a decade plus and seen so many restaurants come and go, ones that we loved, ones that were like, they're going to be here for forever, um, that ultimately got got wiped off or, or had to close, Um that a restaurant that can really sustain becomes a neighborhood restaurant. And, um, you know, I think we've seen trends in media where there's a lot of coverage in the first six months and then it falls apart or and goes away to the new place. And so that you really got to uh, ingratiate yourself to the people, to the neighborhood. Um, Definitely. And when I think of the perfect example of this, and I'm not saying it just cause you're on, I usually say All rustic right. Canyon because cool it's an innovative place, but at the end of the day, it feels like the best version of a neighborhood spot. Obviously that was tested during the pandemic. Um, but how do you guys feel that you have been a neighborhood spot P you know, pre pandemic during the pandemic, post pandemic, do you even consider yourself a
4: neighborhood spot? I mean, yeah, I think I agree with what you're saying. Like to, to last, you gotta be, you know, part of the neighborhood. Um, And yeah, I think, I think I do consider us that, you know, I, I walk around the outside of the building and I notice changes in the actual neighborhood around, Mm. you know, it's, it's kind of difficult to, to try to do, you know, some innovative stuff, but still remain approachable to those people that have been coming to the restaurant for, for 15 years. So Yes, I do definitely consider us a neighborhood restaurant. No, it's not easy to always look at it like that. Um, But yeah, definitely. I mean, there is that – I don't know if
2: infamous is the right word, but there's that New York Times article that you and Jeremy were in that talked about developing this chicken dish. And the amount of work that goes into it and the amount of pressure it was to put it on the menu um, because – You know, you have locals. Right. And you have people who want um, the pozole and certain things. And, you know, you're not a huge restaurant. So it's not I'm not saying dish in, dish out, but there's only so much that you can have at a time. Um, And obviously with the last year, you pivoted. Right. You did like a southern inspired comfort food pop up because the food that you had maybe didn't translate to going at home. But how do, you balance, how do you balance that, right? Like obviously you had a bit of a pass and a bit of a free creative check during the pandemic. Um, yep. But now with people coming back in, are they like, I just want the food that I missed for the last year?
4: So our kind of clientele has totally changed mm. uh, in the last, I would say, two years. Mm. Um, so now – the interesting problem that we have now is that we're changing the menu as frequently as we always have Mm. um, all the time. And, you know, people are upset now because they'll see something on the internet and they'll come in, you know, a week later and and we don't have it. (laughs) And it's, (laughs) it's been happening like all the time. And it's, that's just kind of how we operate, you know, flying by the seat of our pants to a certain extent. But, yeah, it's people coming back for the pozole definitely. Um, not as much as I thought it was going to happen because we've taken that off the menu, it's been off for like six months now. Ooh. Um, so again, it's like trying to bridge that gap between neighborhood restaurant and, and kind of elevated, interesting dining. Um, so we try to have everything available at all times you know, comfort food, more interesting stuff. It's a it's an interesting, interesting, uh, path that we're on here. Um, do you, you know, those, that
2: two year change of clientele, is that because yeah. of everything that happened with the rest of the industry or just a general shift in, let's be honest, like there was a huge shakeup in LA, you know, people moved yeah. around, people moved in, people moved out. Um, yeah. do you, uh, say that that's the reason why it is, or did you just have, um, a bit of a reset and I'm not saying that there were good things to come out of the pandemic with the restaurant industry because obviously it got really hit hard, but yeah. is there something operational? Is there something creative that came out during this time that you're now like, I think we're going to lean into this and have found more success or at least that you've liked yeah.
4: better? Um, I think our, the, the clientele switch, we started to notice that after uh, Michelin Ooh. We started to get more young, young people in, more people, you know, taking photos of their food and 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 whatnot. And now, since pandemic, since fully reopening, that younger group of people that's been coming in is kind of the main source for us. Um, we used to have a strong early push in the evening with with older folks that wanted the more you know neighborhood restaurant dishes and then in the later part of service we would get the younger crowd that would you know fill up the bar and get the more interesting stuff um and now yeah after you know covid we we seem to have more throughout the evening it's the you know adventurous eaters people trying to get the new thing on the menu um so it's It's a definite shift, and then you know the food style has definitely changed. We are totally stripped back, Um, you know, no no garnishes and whatnot, Mm -hmm. really plates. But it's more about the the work that goes into it and the the preservation and the larder that we have here, which can also you know, kick us in the ass too, because if you have the wrong kind of person sitting at a table that doesn't care about that stuff, they're going to turn to their server and say, well, I could have made that at home. And it's sure. like, well, <laughs> you, <don't know>
2: you- <laughs> Yeah. Um, there is this thing about having the luxury of legacy, which you guys have um, in both being able to get that type of produce. I mean, the tomatoes that I get are different than the tomatoes you get. Mm-hmm. Um, but then also having that confidence to edit. Um, not to go back to that uh, chicken article, but you know, part of the the thing about that chicken article was the unbelievable amount of garnishes and side dishes and what it you know took yeah. to to make it big. And now it's like, what is the best stripped down version of a dish? that I can get and it might be coming from rustic Canyon. Yeah. What advice would you give to younger chefs or, or younger restaurants who uh, maybe aren't prescribing to the less is more type of mentality?
4: Well, for us, I mean, for me and what I try to teach, you know, the, the sous chefs and the, the cooks is when we're coming up with a dish, it's not just how can I make this dish great? How can I make it taste good? It's, you know is the prep the prep sustainable how's it going to fit into service like if i put this really complicated mushroom dish on the menu that requires three saute pans and you know two people it's gonna it's gonna screw up the rest of service so we need to think about not just the flavor but operationally how it's going to work um So, you know, we have, you know, a stage come in for a day or two to help out and they're walking around, you know, observing during service and looking at everything and saying, wow, these stations are really easy. And again, it's back to that person saying like, oh, I can make this at home. You're not looking at it the right way. It's all of the work is is going in. It's just not happening in front of you. It's long term stuff. Um, And that's, I think... You know, last March, we shut down. We had a uh, bunch of low boys and a walk-in full of fresh produce. And it's like, what are we going to do with this? And we preserved as much as we could. We, you know, donated Mm -hmm. a lot of it. But we leaned so hard into the preservation of everything. Yeah. That's honestly, like, aside from human creativity, that's really where... Everything comes from right now is preserving, you know, charcuterie, vegetables, everything. You touched on a point about
2: people who are maybe at the beginning of their career, staging, uh, a bit of a young labor force. And obviously in the last year, there's been a big reckoning of restaurants, labor force, people getting paid, people getting taken advantage of and things like that. And I think it's a really... It's really complicated, right? Um and I think it's interesting to see someone like you who's still relatively young. Um, and there's this great story that I read about you about how you're in New York, you're crushing as executive chef, and then you came out and you met Jeremy um Mm -hmm. in California, and you saw what I you know, what you're prescribing now, which is like fresh market less is more editing, things like that. And you, you came out and you went from executive chef to a line cook, mm-hmm. um, which is something I feel like I would never hear now. I feel like I would never, ever, ever hear that story. Right. I feel like yeah. people stage for a week and they're like, I could do Noma. Like uh, I'm good. Right. So, and it's complicated because I don't want to dismiss the monetary issues right the systematic issues that are in place and things like that. Obviously there's stories that come out every week about this, but what yeah. advice could you give to young chefs or young restaurant tours who think that the best advice is like jumping around or not taking a step back, right? Like what is, what's the 10 year view from where you're sitting on how to really make it a career more than yeah. just a gig?
4: I think that it's important to acknowledge that you can you can learn things no matter where you're working, mm. you know, good things and bad things. You know, in New York, I learned a lot of the, you know, say the technique that I use now, but I also learned how I didn't want to be mm. as a chef. I, I, I learned, you know, I, I don't want to be, you know, yelling at people and putting people down just because things aren't going the right way. Um, So yeah, it's just, it's kind of taking it all in and like just critical thinking and actively, you know, assessing everything that's going on around you um, as much as possible. Um, I was never the type to like go home and, and like journal or write anything down, but just obviously every experience kind of shapes who you are and, you know, whether you want to be the type of chef that is going home and studying a Scoffier, or if you want to be looking at the, you know, the Noma Instagram page, like it's, it's taking it all in and deciding what is good and what is bad and what you want to be eventually. Um, which is kind of exactly where we're at right now is me kind of at that point where I'm finally truly accepting that. I am the chef of this restaurant Ooh. and allowing the pressure of people, um, people relying on me to really shape where we're going. Um, I try to keep everything really collaborative as much as possible, um, which makes things easier, but it also makes things a lot harder. Um, yeah. You know,
2: I uh, started my career as freelance and jumping from place to place. And I was like, well, it doesn't matter if I have a issue with this person or don't grow in this way. Or I only learn this because I'm going to the next gig in a couple months or whatever. It wasn't really until I landed somewhere and was like, I'm going to be here for years. Mm-hmm. That forced me to be better at my job and to learn more yep. from people.
4: Yeah. I mean, I, I agree with that. I When we hire people um, and I get resumes. If we have someone that has, you know, 10 really good restaurants on their resume, but they've been at each one mm-hmm. for three months, six months. Like I'm not going to call you. Yeah. You know? Um Back to that, the point that I was trying to get to, you know, learning no matter where you are, good restaurant or bad restaurant, um, dedication goes a long way which I think is what you're kind of saying, you know, even if it's a shit restaurant, if you spend a year there, you're going to pick up something that you didn't know. Um, And I think there's a lot to be said that when someone has maybe only three restaurants on their resume, but they've been there for a few years and, you know, really became a part of the team. It goes a long way. All right. Well, listen, we're going to take a little bit of a
2: break. Uh, We're going to come back, talk about one of the favorite, or at least my favorite parts of eating in rustic Canyon, which is the dining room and the music and uh, your work with local farmers and sustainability, which we touched on a little bit, but I want to dive a little bit deeper into. We have a song from the archives here on Snacky Tunes on HRN. Welcome back to Snacky Tunes with Andy Dubrava, chef, Rustic Canyon. And right before the break, I mentioned um, one of my favorite things about eating at Rustic Canyon is the dining room. It is one of the best vibes, which I know is a word that gets overused to death. But it really (laughs) is. You walk in and you go, I want to be here for a long time. And no small part of that is... you know, the music and the feeling and things that are going on. And I know yourself, huge fan of music, used to be a drummer, if my sources are correct.
4: Yes, I I was.
2: Um, What do you bring musically to the restaurant, either inside the kitchen or in the dining room? Um, Because I know that you have a a penchant for for new wave punk and things like that, which is not always the right vibe, (laughs) but depending on when you get it, Get to yeah. uh, a point in the night, you know. Maybe you do want to hear a little bit of Buzzcocks
4: uh, on the stereo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's it's really important to me. Like, I like the music to be relative to the the atmosphere in the dining room. Sure. And the way that the atmosphere is at rustic is that when there's a lot of people in there, it's going to be very, very, very loud. <laughs> yes, um, but the best way loud. Yeah. The best. Yeah, yeah, like a like a fun party kind of loud. So we try to have the music like right at that perfect level mm. so you hear it, but it's not the only thing you can hear. Um, and something kind of cool, um, I don't know how long it's going to last, but um, we built that back patio uh, right behind the restaurant, mm-hmm. right behind the kitchen, and the music that we play out there, you know, you can hear it in the kitchen during service, which is like the opposite of the way that we work. You know, it's, it's a very quiet kitchen during service. And now all of a sudden, you know, the kitchen's controlling the music for the patio. So one way or another, we're listening to music during service now. Yeah. Um, And we get away with some pretty, pretty fun stuff. You want to Um, drop a band, drop a couple bands. Do I mean, we listen to, you know, Debo during service, Buzzcocks, like you said, we'll play The Cramps, we'll play Pavement. Mm. We've accidentally played Fugazi a couple of times and it, it like generally goes over pretty well. There you go. There you go. Um, yeah. You know, I think some
2: restaurants, the music comes from the kitchen, right? And they just yeah. blast it really loud. Like Maddie Matheson comes to mind when yeah. that's where this, that's where the soundtrack is coming from. I think it's... Uh, you know kitchens always have a good energy and they always need that pushing energy and so sometimes okay. if you're in that right mindset um it's a good it's a good place to start with a, a musical yeah. push
4: yeah it's it's interesting like at so i used to be super into music you know i thought it was going to be my career sure. things happened and it's it's not obviously but i definitely fell off um You know, I used to always be trying to find new stuff, whether it was actual new music or older stuff that I had never heard of. And at some point I stopped doing that. And now all of the new stuff that I find myself listening to in the car at home is coming from, you know, somebody put it on in the kitchen during prep. Yep. and it's really like Nestor, our, our exec executive chef, is always showing us new stuff, and then one of our line cooks, Ryan, is at the same time like texting me, you know, songs from Spotify to listen to and stuff like that. And it's it's interesting how that switch happened. It just yeah, you know? I, I uh, feel the same way. And I just
2: got mm-hmm. the second I see a suggestion, I gobble it up, whether it's from a friend or an Instagram yeah. post, something like that, or I catch it on um serious I'm just like it's the only way because you know, Cause, you, know yeah. you just run out of time to dig I mean you, you know when you're spending your time at the farmer's market or like yeah <laughs> you know looking for new fruits looking for new vegetables that sort of yeah. takes up the time uh yeah. searching for new bands and new records and things like that Definitely. um you know uh it's good to see that you're back because when I think of you guys as a restaurant, I think of you having a very symbiotic relationship with, um, the Santa Monica farmer's market and local purveyors yeah. and things like that. And I think what you alluded to in our, in the previous part of the show was that you're really even more market driven because something that's there on Instagram today is not there next week because it's just not at the market. Um, yeah. and I know that, uh, that's always been a part of your career. It's one of the things you pulled from New York. Um, but how has your relationship with the farmer's market and even more local and more fresh evolved even more? And what was one of the things that you saw your partners and your purveyors go through in the last year and a half that maybe the public missed?
4: I mean, I remember going to the market. I think it was the day after we decided to shut. Sure. Door. And it was super somber there was like nobody there it was really sad and i don't there's just something to be said or not said about you know going and seeing these same people at the farm stands in the you know before covid times during that and throughout that and, and now when everything's back to normal it's just it's it's wild. Like the relationships have grown so much and you don't really realize it until, you know, maybe right now as I'm thinking about it, but like these people are like actual good friends of mine, you know, that I could text on a, a regular basis. And it's, it's just kind of crazy to really sit back and, and think about everything that's happened in the last year, especially when now we're so busy that unless I take the time to think about things like that, I am just in the, in the moment. Um, you know, we, we relied on these farms, um, and they relied on us. Mm-hmm. I think is what I saw, um, is they, they lost so much of their business and, you know, for us to, you know, be buying, Grains and vegetables and and meats and whatnot from these local people rather than, you know, saving money and getting the commodity stuff. Um, It is, it's just a real symbiotic relationship that you're actively living in and, and, you know, working with.
2: Would you say that symbiotic relationship drives a lot of your commitment to zero waste? and to making sure that everything that's grown that you buy is
4: used. Yeah, 100%. I mean, even down to, you know, the the plateware that we use, it's Mm -hmm. like I know the person that made this or that grew this. So I, I have this, you know, responsibility and obligation to do everything that I can to not, you know, screw this up you know, to, to do what they would want with their product. Um, I am a very, I think, empathetic kind of person. So that guilt and that weight weighs very heavily on me. Um, so yeah, it's definitely, you know, go for a hundred percent use, go for no waste. And, and that's what drives the larder as well with our preserves and, and charcuterie and stuff.
2: I mean you're pretty open about it, especially on Instagram. Um, you know, I think of that tag Porcini Mushroom, mm-hmm. chicken oval ragu, which was made by mm-hmm. our good friend and your 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 chef Travis Hayden. Um, Trav. but I also go back to this gooseneck dish from yeah. the Motley Crew Ranch. And uh-huh. it's funny because um I look at that plate of pasta with ragu, and if I'm a normal diner, I'm like, I can get, I can, I can get behind a plate of pasta with a sauce, right? Sure. Yeah. And the flip side, I look at that gooseneck, and I'm like, if I'm not, if I'm not out there as a diner, I completely understand your commitment to zero waste, but I'm not going to get involved with that week's special.
3: Sure.
2: Um, sure, sure. How do you balance that, right? Because you know, it's not, not everything can be a pasta ragu. Um, yeah. And also, you don't want everything to be a gooseneck, but you still want everything to be zero waste. And then you also don't want to come off as too preachy either because you don't want to alienate customers who are looking at your Instagram page. But you're still like, hey, we are going to do whatever it takes to make sure that you understand what we're about and you're sort of aware of the food
4: you're getting when you come in before you come in. Sure. So complete transparency with the gooseneck in particular the entire reason that I we got fifteen geese was to do that. Mm. We used everything else, but yeah, the 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 whole reason for the geese was something that I saw Jeremy do probably five years ago, and it's a it's an old um, Italian preparation using pig's feed, usually called zamponi, where you stuff sausage into the boned out. A long time ago, I saw Chef Jonathan Sawyer. He's from Cleveland. He did it with a duck neck. Um, And then a couple of years ago, yeah, Jeremy did it with duck as well. I think those were from uh, Liberty Farms up in Sonoma. But it's something I've always wanted to do. And uh, I just kind of went for it. And uh, it worked out. I think the hard part sometimes is, is selling it because this is a business. Um, and as much you know, philosophical and emotional thought goes into everything, we still need to make money to Ooh. sustain doing things that we want to do. Um, so a lot of it just comes down to the way that you word it on the menu and the way sure. that the, the server talks to the table. Um, because if I take the head away, is it scary at that point? It's just sausage wrapped in right skin right um i take the head away it's the same product there is you know edible parts of the head not all of it obviously of course most people did, didn't touch it but yeah it, i guess it was kind of a statement piece but i also don't really see myself as having that much pull <laughs> so...
2: i think it's inspirational i mean um you know, if you're a young chef and you're looking for guidance, I mean, your, your Instagram page is pretty much just food and, and very open about what it is and, and some, mm-hmm. some tricks and things like that. And some tips mm-hmm. of, of what you did. Um, yeah. but you also have a great quote, simple ain't easy, which sort of ties back to what you were saying at the beginning where, it's, yeah. okay, this is a tomato and it's perfectly seasoned and it's at the perfect time of year and it's on a plate yeah. and it's, or it's a chicken or it's this. Um, and it looks simple, but it's yeah. not. And I think a lot of people could learn from that. I think it's, it's, it's youth, right? Youth is always like more, 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 more. No editing, right. no editing, no editing. Um, and I think to me, it's putting that quote on your page is actually, in many ways, like the biggest magic trick reveal <laughs> that you can yeah. actually –
4: put on there where it's just like, no, it's, it's simple, but it's not easy. Um, Yeah. I think that, I think that's a lot of that comes from the restaurant, this restaurant kind of guiding me to where I need to, to be um, as far as the food goes. Um, And just back to the, the menu verbiage, you know, we could have this crazy dish where, you know, it's all fermented and preserved and whatever, but on the menu it says roast chicken and carrots, you know, it's the, the thought and the time and the prep that goes into everything is there. If you want to know about it and you want to see it, but at the same time you could just be a regular diner coming in for, for dinner and just have good, you know, tasty food. Um, and I think that's really one of the hardest parts is is pleasing both of those types of people. Um, you know, the chefs that come in that are looking for all the little intricacies are going to appreciate much different things than the person that thinks that their steak is overcooked hmm. and they want you know steamed broccoli instead of roasted potatoes or something. You know, it's right. it's just. It's trying to make the most amount of people happy, Hmm. (laughs) including our, our staff. Yeah. Well, if that doesn't sum
2: up, uh, the life of a chef and a restaurant (laughs) tournament, uh, Wilson, Andy, I really appreciate you taking the time. If people want to come visit, if people want to get a reservation or people want to come and eat with you, tips, best practices, where can they go?
4: Hey, um, we are very busy right now. Uh, where can they go? Um, There's always a I seat mean, in we, the bar. Yeah, we try to keep bar seats open. Um, we try to keep lounge tables open. Mm. So you know, come in at five. Yeah, when we open. Uh, otherwise, book a couple weeks ahead of time, or uh, text Travis. Yeah, text Travis. That's <laughs> what I do. I just I slide into Travis
2: yeah. DMs. Um, yeah. Let me tell you something. As a as a parent of two with a nine week year old newborn, the five pm dinner is a very nice thing.
4: Yeah. I mean, we do, I don't necessarily recommend it, but we will do takeout. <laughs> yeah. 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 Just for you. Thank you. And congrats. I appreciate congrats, it. By the way. And if Thank people you. want to
2: follow along on your Instagram page, where can they go?
4: Uh, my name, Andy Dubrava. Uh, also, Rustic Canyon is uh, the restaurant's page. Awesome.
2: Well, listen, I appreciate taking the time. We have another song from the archives and then a live performance from the archives here on Snacky Tunes on HRN.
5: He don't need anybody's permission It's always a riot On Saturday night He's in love with a girl Whose reputation Is showing up alone Without a boyfriend And every time they miss Their connection Cause he don't know She's ready to go No, no Is it ever really The right time to fall in love and so she There's no way that'll wait another season He brought her in close And told her that most of all Is it ever really the right time To fall in love I should
1: This is Hannah, HRN's program manager. You may have noticed that we have a whole new look. We also launched a new website that's going to make your listening easier and more enjoyable than ever before. HRN is the original food podcast network. And as we enter a new chapter in our 12-year history, I want to ask you to invest in HRN for the long haul. If you rely on this show to fuel your food media diet, become a monthly sustaining member today. Our members keep the voice of America's food movement alive and kicking. Your donations support this podcast along with 40 other shows on Heritage Radio Network. Your contribution helps give HRN the security we need to stay on the airwaves throughout the pandemic, and your continued support is allowing us to reopen our studio. Plus, we like to give our regular members special treatment. So sign up to become a monthly donor and get access to our secret menu. We've gathered together exclusive discounts and offers from some of your favorite food and beverage brands. So you get to enjoy insider pricing on goods that will ship right to your door. Join our community of monthly donors and special deals will come your way throughout the summer. So can you make a gift of 5 or $10 a month? It'll show me and our whole team at HRN how much this podcast and food radio in general means to you. Become a monthly sustaining member today at heritageradionetwork.org slash donate. Well,
2: I'm looking at four
1: <laughs> proud fathers
2: of their new baby. Is an album a girl or it's a girl, right? Yeah. Right. Sure. Sure. Yeah. One, yeah. So six days Thank- old. Have you guys slept? How's she doing? Show, right? You crying a lot? keeps us up
6: at night. Yeah. Um, just give her a little whiskey every night and then she goes right out.
2: Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, Limits of Desire is out. Super excited. How do you guys feel about it? I feel great. Yeah? Yeah.
6: Yeah, we spent a lot of time on it, but it was worth it and, I don't know, we're really proud of it.
2: Um, what's it like to uh, sit down and write an album these days and put it out in the crazy world that is the music industry?
6: It's an interesting question. Um, I don't know. It's like something like a release date is such a weird thing now because the album's streaming a week before. Right. People have stolen it, you know, a couple weeks before that. So. Oh really? Was like,
2: were you were you guys hacked?
6: Yeah, I mean, I think it only it got leaked like maybe two weeks before, which is pretty damn good. Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't, wasn't good. too bad. Yeah, no, that's about as bet the best you can hope for. So, um,
2: how does I, it feel? To see a leak of your album, cool. Yeah,
6: because well, people care enough that they're they're looking steal. for it. Yeah. yeah, it's fine. You know, I I think everybody steals music. It's it's just the reality of things. You pay for what you can afford. So yeah, everybody that hears our band is you know we're lucky for them to check it out. So
2: Look give it, us a quick history of the band. How'd you
6: guys all meet? Ryan and I are from Long Island, Strong Island. Yeah, and hey, we're hey. friends from back then. And then Jeff and Juan are friends from college and then we kind of buddied up and started the band. Supergroup? Yeah. And what year was that? Two thousand nine. Okay. So it's
2: been it's been a minute. Yeah. It's been yeah. a minute. Four years, you guys still all friends.
6: Yeah. Uh-huh. Tor, Tor will make every makes everybody crazy, but then we chill out for a week and become friends again.
2: That's because Tor isn't natural. Like Tor is no. the most unnatural we're gonna put you in a van, we're gonna give you no sleep, and yeah. it's a like Lots of stress. Lots of stress.
6: Yeah, everybody has had their meltdowns. <laughs> so, just you try, know to, what? try to manage them.
2: I wouldn't trust a, a guy or a girl in a band on a tour who didn't have a meltdown. Because then you're like, oh, this person's fucking crazy. And
6: Actually, this guy, Ryan, I can't. Th- Maybe Ryan hasn't had a meltdown. Really? He's a real even keel. Oh. I guess not. He's I guess a good one I'm to totally red, nuts. Because when you're acting like a nut. You just look at Ryan; he's very sensible and calm, <laughs> and then you feel bad about yourself.
2: What's uh, what's the food sitch on the uh, on the road? We
6: don't play around; we eat real well. Really? We don't, we don't eat crap. We're we're super into Yelp, and like we'll when we're on like a long drive, we we plot out all the cities that are on the route, and we'll call an order in in advance and pick it up on the way. Oh,
4: you're no joke. Yeah, yeah, we're not eating. You try not to do crap. this, you know, gas station. Shit, crap. The 99 cent burrito? Yeah, exactly. I mean,
6: because really when you're on a 10 hour drive, the only thing to look forward to is something good to eat. So, What's, uh, what's some of your favorite places? Like cities or restaurants? Hit me with both. Um, we've had really good luck in Phoenix. Have you gone to America's Best Tacos near the airport? No, but I want to. Uh,
2: we'll, we'll trade info. They do this carne asada and they just put it in eight different types of like oh. wraps.
6: That sounds really good. We wanted yeah. to do that. We went to this place called Fez, which is like a sandwich joint and Triple H from WWF was there.
2: Oh yeah, Fez in Phoenix?
6: Yeah. Yeah,
2: one. some other band was on the show talking about Fez.
6: That's crazy. <laughs> yeah.
2: It's you know, I you know, I think it's uh I think there are just communication between bands. I mean look, you're all looking for good
6: food at a certain price yeah.
2: point in certain towns. Yeah. You're gonna come across the same thing.
6: It's true. That yeah, that place has been a go to um, what was the name of that diner we ate at in Denver? Oh, something with an S. I wish I knew the name. Oh, that food was yeah. delicious. Really good fried chicken. Um.
2: You guys, Anyway, all right, so let's you, we'll, we'll, we'll. I'll look it up. We'll see if we can find
6: it. You said yeah. S Diner, Colorado. We'll, we'll find it. Yeah.
2: Is it in Denver? All right, we'll see if we can find a thing. So uh,
6: you guys going to rip the a song movie? for us? Yeah, let's do it. What song are you playing first? This song is called No Stranger.
2: All right, here we go. Small Black, new dads of the new album, the little baby girl, No Strangers here on Snacky Tunes. That's a that's a summer jam. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks. That's, a, that's a straight up summer jam. So, what's the writing process for you guys? Is uh, you know, I heard you when you guys were warming up before the show started. There was definitely a little bit of jam going on. You guys jam it out, and then you uh, figure out the songs really, from there. We do some
6: jamming. Yeah, it's really a different song to song. Um, yeah, some are from jams, some are from a song somebody brings to the band, and then we kind of rework around all the different elements. Um, I think for this record, songs didn't really become contenders for the record until they had a hook that we thought was good and that we l- we latched on to. So I think that was the, the main criteria as far as how we followed through and finished things.
2: When, I think one of the things that I like now or when you can definitely tell that a band wrote an album and not just a single. And you guys put out an actual album. So what's it like when you're structuring not just going for one song, but a whole start to finish and placement and things like that. I just was reading about um, The Breeders' 20th, 20th anniversary, of The Last Splash, and they're like talking about song placement and structure and the way it goes, and I feel that that's a lost art.
6: Yeah, um... I would say with this record, like, Free at Dawn, the first track, was definitely designed as an intro track, and the last track, Outskirts, is, um... definitely was always designed to be the ending. So, um... We had that in mind, and then I think the rest things start to, as you as you get closer with the mix, they start to really show their head as to where they belong in the record and what role they serve. You know, there's a couple songs that we cut from the record that I think are really good that just weren't, you know, they didn't serve the proper role in the record.
2: And do those become seven inches, or what do you do with those? Um, I guess we're kind of
6: we just put the record out, so we're still figuring out what to do. But yeah, seven inches are great. EPs, you know, it's it's kind of what,
2: you know, you gotta respect record store day for I think
6: breathing life back into the
2: seven inch and making it yeah. like a new commodity. Mm-hmm. I feel for a few years uh, that was not a thing, and you know, the digital download or like the free song, but there's something nice about having it be tangible, even if it's 200 copies, and you re- you release it online. No, I,
6: I love seven inches. I think that's probably the music form I buy the most, just because it's five or six bucks. It's a nice way to support the band. You get the cool art. I mean, I like the general size of a 7-inch. It looks great. And, I don't know, it's usually got some track that's not as easy to find on the net. Yeah? On the B-side. Do
2: yeah. you find that people
6: aren't ripping 7 inches as much as they are albums? I mean, they do. I mean, everything eventually ends up on YouTube. But, um, I think it's sometimes harder to find like that nice MP3 or something that you want to listen to.
2: Yeah, what's your most uh, prized 7-inch?
6: Um... Yeah, Juan's yeah. brother is like a like a deep 80s DJ. So <laughs> Musical youth.
7: Yeah,
6: yeah, yeah. I'm Elder Barge, 7-inch. Pass <laughs> wow. the Dutchie.
7: Yeah. Yeah, oh, that's, 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 really the, that's great. That's single. the summer
6: jam. That's like oh, yeah, the alt-
2: there's your dub right there. Yeah. Yeah.
6: Pop, I mean. but the, the jam. Kid vocal, when you can get away with it, is really great.
2: <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, there's a lot of fun. I also like playing 7-inch. I mean, DJing is fun, but yeah, no. usually just bring out the computer and do the whole Serato thing. But the seventh thing is fun. You really work it. Especially yeah. with, you know, those are 2-3 minute songs and you're
6: you're sweating and You better have those records organized or you're going to be playing some trash.
2: <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> nothing is nothing is uh shorter than when you don't have the next song queued up or longer than when you played the wrong song. <laughs> yeah,
6: no. You
2: can't Ouch. get Yeah, you can't get out of a the seventh. There's no yeah, like there's no, drag and drop a new song.
6: Nah no you gotta let, you gotta let that bomb play out
2: now are you guys doing any barbecues this summer are you guys
6: cooking or why any bar one is the is the guy he's a deep barbecue. Juan, what you got uh he's
2: well a, he's I'm, our
7: foodie guy he's the go-to i'm, I'm from argentina so we have uh, asado down there it's oh yeah very very different style than that's here. like a big flame that's yeah. the yeah and it's every house has a, basically like a clay giant barbecue built into the backyard it's they, there's a joke in Argentina that the, every house starts with the barbecue and then builds outward from there. Well, we got
2: the barbecue. <laughs> We're thinking about building a house around it, right?
7: That's pretty much Argentina. And it's just incredible, the The meat quality. It's lean but very flavorful down there. And the cows are very healthy. Just incredible food. And produce, it's kind of like anything that you would have to go out of your way to get here, organic. It's just kind of regular there. Uh. So that's kind of the best because you, you don't feel like you're doing gourmet cooking. You're just doing regular cooking. But it's like... Cool. Well, there was a
2: time when regular cooking was just gourmet cooking.
7: Exactly, yeah. exactly. What's your? Is that your? I
2: mean, what do you do in Brooklyn? Because I am assuming
7: I would love to. I've been trying to think about importing the grill. It's like a V-shaped yeah. grill because it catches the fat, doesn't yeah. let the fat drip and smoke up into the meat. Uh, so I'm thinking about importing one of those and building one. We're also talking about doing a smoker in the backyard this summer, smoking some whole chickens. That's nice. Yeah,
6: yeah. we're not we're not playing around. No, we we're into it. It's, yeah. <laughs> uh, I think the uh,
2: backyard brooklyn barbecue scene yeah no, no people don't come here to play no 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 you know it's everyone's
7: a foodie now you better not show you with some pre-made yeah. patties oh no oh yeah exactly like
2: i was in the bodega yesterday and i saw those uh pre-wrapped cheeseburgers and oh, i was like God. who still does it? unnecessary those? unnecessary unnecessary all right enough about food let's let's do another, let's do another song <laughs> we'll talk about food all day uh what do we got next the song's called sophie okay here we go uh small black sophie here uh live on snacky tunes best describe your music oh man i'm kidding i'm not going to ask you music (laughs) questions like that let's get back to the food um so what is your favorite uh time of the year to eat are you guys barbecue men or are you guys actually are you guys like winter soup dudes or things
6: like that come Um, on
2: in you're the food guy don't stand in the corner yeah
6: just over there i just like to eat fried chicken all the time
2: you know, there was a good article in the Times last week about how to fry chicken and how if it's not deep fried, it's not that bad for you.
7: If which, it's not deep fried, it's not that like, bad for you? I thought if you had the temperature hot enough, the fat didn't get in. Yeah. And it's kind of okay. It's
2: kind of okay. Like, the deep fried stuff that you get at KFC, that's that's bad for that's you. Bad. But that's bad. Like, but the cast iron two-inch skillet oh, okay. stuff is not as bad for you. And I'm just going to... And guess what? If I read that wrong, I'm just going to believe that it's not that valid for me. Keep telling me that. Right?
6: Keep telling me that. Sounds good. So
2: we learned today that Jamaican bitters are awesome and fried chicken is a health food. It's a health food. (laughs) It's a health food.
7: It's absolutely a health food. I read the other day that I was looking for recipes to make up pudding, caramel pudding. And and this one was like, this is really healthy. Low in fat, high in calcium and protein. I was like, all right. I'll just make some caramel pudding. (laughs) You know, look. (laughs) Why not?
2: I think the biggest issue is processed food. I think if you could just eat good ingredients, like, okay, this pizza that we're eating, probably not every day, but essentially it's just bread and sauce and... Good cheese. Good
3: cheese.
6: Yeah. Yeah, I'm reading this uh, Joseph Mitchell book, and this one section is all about the Fulton Fish Market, and uh, there's this big section that that he hangs out with this 93-year-old guy who's pretty much only eaten seafood his whole life. Yeah, yeah. And... He goes into this big, and it's, this is like in the 40s. And he goes off on like bread you'd get at the supermarket or whatever you got it there and said he would never eat it yeah. and that it's trash. And this guy, it seemed like, was the first person that was completely against processed foods. And I think he lived to like be 100. Just. Yeah,
7: I, it's it's really, a, everything now is just going back to the way things were yeah. before all the processing. Trying was, to. Or trying to, like, the whole, like, dry-aged steak thing. It's like every steak used to be dry-aged. Yeah. yeah. That was the way you did it, and now it's, like, the special thing. We actually dry-age our own steaks at home, too, which is Are nice. Are you serious? Oh, yeah. We messed with that. We've definitely done that. <laughs> a couple of porterhouses. What's long as you let a steak go? I just go, like, two or three days tops. Okay. And then it starts to dry out. And then I, know, I do the Heston Blumenthal method of just, like... Hot, sear. sear, 15 seconds, flip, flip, flip for two minutes, done. Really? Flip every 15 seconds. It never lets either side cool down, so it builds a nice crust, gets it nice and medium.
2: I usually just do like a two-minute, two-minute. You know, Carlo totally at Blanca do. does an 85-day
7: steak. Get out Whoa. of here. 85. It's, it's, like, it's, <laughs> it's like, like, a, like jerky by the end, but it's like... no. It's got like no. a funky
2: blue cheese moldy...
7: Ooh, Delicious. Yeah. Just cut that right off. You
2: can't be afraid of the funk in both no. music and steak, no. you know? No,
7: certainly not.
2: So what's the plans for you guys? Tour coming?
6: Yeah, we start tour on May 29th in Boston, and then we come back and wrap up in New York at Music Hall of Williamsburg on the 30th of June.
2: Oh, so you guys are out for a month.
6: Yeah, and then we'll be out again. So what, you
2: going north and around? Circle, yeah. Circle. One of my favorite burrito places is up in Boston. You guys go to Anna's Taqueria?
7: Ooh, oh, I, I have been there. It's incredible. The yeah. burrito there. I had it like a decade ago, so I don't know if it's, it's the still same. the same, but oh my God. Do you know the Soul Clap guys? Yeah. Okay, I'm good friends with Charlie from growing up. Yeah. Family friends, so we used to go there. Oh man, it's up good. In Boston. That
2: was like the first Mission-style, like steamed cheese type of burrito quesadilla so thing good. I've ever had. Go there.
7: Yeah, we should. It's share. good. Yeah, that's
2: really on share. the list. Yeah. So you guys are just doing all North America? You guys dip into Canada?
6: Yeah, we're doing Mo- Montreal, Toronto, Vancouver. Toronto's got great food, and Montreal, too. Montreal's,
2: that's my hometown. It's my dad's restaurant. Where Where's
7: Joe hometown. Beef at? Is that in Montreal? Montreal, yeah. Call him to even get a res. I know, right? Seriously. would be amazing. Yo, our band loves your restaurant. Our <laughs> band loves your <a> restaurant. <laughs> if you're listening right now, Joe Beef, guys, will definitely come check it out.
2: We just go to Schwartz's or go to Fairmont Bagels or things like that. Just get some of that dirty poutine, yeah.
7: right? Totally.
2: Uh, so I want to thank you guys coming on. What's all the nuts and bolts working people by the album?
6: Um, just you can just get it at our website small dash black dot com, or just grab it from Jag Jaguar or iTunes, Amazon. It's on all, all those various places. And can people the follow city?
2: the tour on Twitter, Instagram? What are those? Yeah,
6: um, like on Facebook. Facebook. It's pretty easy to find if you just Google Small Black. uh Small BLK is the t- is the Twitter handle. So.
2: And where's the name from?
6: Uh. I moved to Portland on a whim once, and I was living in this really sort of screwed up house, and there was a pack of raccoons that lived in the attic. Okay. And we named them all, and one of them was named Small Black, and that's what we named. That was the name of the band. Interesting. Well, shout out to Lissa. Uh, Lissa, mm-hmm. what, what do you got? Come with- do
2: you
4: tumblr, tumblr, uh, tumblr. Oh, the cool. Tumblr.
6: Tumblr. Yeah. Smallblack.tumblr.com. We're, I love Tumblr. Yeah,
2: tumblr. Which just got yeah. bought by Yahoo today for a yeah. billion dollars.
7: Really. A lot. That's a lot of money. Yeah, that is, that's really the way to make money.
2: I, I guarantee you, tumblers sabering champagne bottles right now. I think that's hey, what you Tumblr, do,
7: guys. We love you guys.
2: I think that's what happens when you sell for like a billion. I think that's what Instagram did. They just saber. They get those like big, comically sized, magnums. The chandon,
7: yeah. like the magnum. Like, yes, the chandon, yeah,
2: yeah. which are crazy because they're like hundred thousand dollars. It's yeah. like a hundred. I don't know. We,
7: we drink that sometimes after shows. We oh just yeah, just kind of novelty like human-sized bottle. And just saber
2: it with one of the guitars? Sure. Awesome. Alright, so what's the last song we're going to get?
6: We're going to do "All These Despicable Dogs.
2: Awesome. Well, Small Black, Ben, everybody, thank you so much. We will be off next week because we will be enjoying a day of barbecue. No doubt. No doubt. Uh, You guys got barbecue plans for Memorial Day?
6: Oh, yeah. Yeah,
2: We're working on it. Oh, you're working on it. We're it. (laughs) (laughs) We're working on it. Start aging those. Hey, man, do we get some funky steaks for next... For next Monday, steak and shrimp. Yeah, the, that's what i 80 do. day, 80, <laughs>
7: 85. 85 day. I know, right? That's that's really, really that's bold. Dedication. Yeah,
2: I it scares me, but obviously, I, I don't know. It's
3: fine, it's fine. Yeah,
2: okay. Here we go. Small black, second toon. See you in two weeks. Thanks, guys.
3: Selling love